1 Corinthians chapter 13 is where we begin. This is an extraordinary passage in Scripture. It's often referred to as the love chapter. Some would even go as far to say it's the greatest thing ever written in the Word of God is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I find it hard to extrapolate different pieces of God's Word as being greater than others. And I know people don't intend to say that particularly, but nevertheless, it is a wonderful passage of Scripture. It's a great delight to read about love and Christ's love. You remember, we've been studying recently over several weeks now. In chapter 12, it begins a um, writing where Paul is writing to a messed up church in Corinth. A church is just getting things wrong. They're living carnally. They're not walking in the Spirit. They're trying to do things in their own power, their own ability. They're jealous of each other, envious of others, and trying to assert what they have above everybody else. They're making a mess of the church, and they're um, leaving it um, un. Uh, productive and useful to God. And so Paul writes to them in chapter 12, he speaks of the diversity of spiritual gifts. And we go through and we, we went through in list format and studied some of those gifts in somewhat of a survey level. We understood that there are gifts that God has given to the church. We understand that every born-again believer, we believe in the New Testament age, as Scripture teaches, possesses spiritual gifts, enablements for them to serve and to be useful in the body of Christ and that we're to be active in that. In 14, chapter 14, we have not studied yet. If the Lord tarries, we'll get there. But chapter 14 is, continues on um, the practical use of spiritual gifts in the church. But in, sandwiched in between 12 and 14 in 1 Corinthians is this beautiful chapter. It wasn't a chapter when Paul was writing it, but a beautiful um, section of Scripture that speaks, a parenthetical really, that speaks of love the topic of love. So that's what we look at this morning. So returning to our study in 1 Corinthians this morning, we come to the topic of love. You've heard the word love a lot already this morning in the preliminaries of the service and the hymns we've been singing and the prayer and the scripture reading. Love is a topic concerning the Christmas season that is fastly approaching as well as what's in scripture. But confusingly, the word love in English means many different things, doesn't it? I mean, I love my wife. I love my children. I love good food. I love hunting in the mountains. I love, and the list could go on and on and on, right? One word in English, love, means so many different things. Without context, we can easily confuse our usage of the word love in today's vernacular. Whereas it is confusing today to use the word love in English in the Greek in the original time of first century Christianity when Paul was writing, the words love were not near as confusing. In no ways would the Greeks or the Corinthians or even the Jews for that matter, would they get the word love confused with other forms of love. Let me show you how. Here in our passage in 1 Corinthians 13, he speaks about doing all these things but not having love. And the love that Paul is speaking of here, for instance, is agape love. It's one of the biblical forms of love. It's the greatest form of love, agape love. And agape love does not mean the kind of love that I, that, well, it does not, excuse me, it does not mean a romantic love only. It does not mean that at all. It's not, it's not sentimental love. It's not physical love. It's not, it's not um, a, um, a type of love that, that, that means something um, um, tingly and fuzzy. 
okay? There's another word in the Greek that means that sort of a love. That's eros, love, eros, love. That's the kind of love that we associate with, with a, um, uh, one form of the love that we associate with a, with a sexual attraction, a physical attraction. That's eros, love. It's not agape love. And then there's, that's, by the way, we, I've explained before when we studied this, that's the type of love that, that takes. It's the type of love that, that, that wants and takes. Then there's another kind of love, that's phileo love, and that is the love of friendship. When we say that we love our friends, that we love each other, um, and we're not related, we're not married to each other, that's a, that's a friendship type of love. And that's a love that, that does two things, really. It's a love that that gives and it takes. It does too. There's two forms of that kind of love as well. So you have the eros love, you have the phileo love, both are, op- are different from agape love. And then there is this agape love that we return to. And that's the kind of love that delights in giving unconditionally and delights in giving in a sacrificial sort of a way. A love that, that finds joy in giving away, that, that gives up something of myself. A sacrificial love. That's the agape love that's being spoken of here. Agape love is a love that just gives. It doesn't take. And this is the kind of love that Paul is writing about here. And then we're going to provide the context here in a moment, and we're going to see how that is um, worked out in a way of using our giftedness, our spiritual gifts within the life and the body of the church. Okay? Agape, from the, the, the Greek verb, verb agapeo, to love, never means emotional love. It never means a tingling sensation. It never means sensationalism. It never means a friendly, cordial hospitality. It never means simply charity. It never means tolerance and brotherly kindness. Agape love, from the Greek verb agapeo, means something completely and a category of itself. That type of love, agape love, means selfless sacrifice. So if you look at verse 1, it says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not charity, that word charity there is actually, could be said is a poor translation, maybe a more accurate literal translation would be love here. Charity doesn't provide the full meaning of the agape love here. I am become a sounding brass or a tingling, tinkling cymbal. I become just a loud, obnoxious noise if I do not love. This is what Paul is speaking of here. So the essence of this word love, as it is in the Greek, could, could literally be, you could, you could literally translate that verse this way. If I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not a spirit of self-sacrifice, I have absolutely nothing. This is, this is what Paul is saying here. If I do all of these things, if I fulfill all these things, do all these good works, do all these things with people, but I don't have the spirit of love, agape love, sacrificial love, it's worthless. It's as if I did nothing at all altogether. So the spirit of the meaning is indicated in actually Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. And I'll reference that for you here. You you may not have to turn there, but Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 encapsulates and shows us the the, the depth of of the definition of this agape love. 
We see this demonstrated when God's love for mankind was made manifest in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ, agapeo, agape love, sacrificed himself for those who were unworthy of being sacrificed for. This is Christ dying for enemies, for rebels like us. And this is the kind of love Jesus commands us to show to even our enemies. Even our enemies. Luke chapter 6 and verse 35 reference that. So elsewhere then in John 15, 13, Jesus himself teaches, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. So then, Agape love is not something that you feel. Agape love is something that you do. It is a discipline. It is self-sacrifice. That is the agape love that Paul is speaking of here. And I'm spending a little bit of time here. We're, We're slowing down the speed a little bit in our study to understand and grasp what this love is. And then we're gonna much more quickly finish the rest of the passage and see how this love works itself out and how it should not work itself out. So continuing a little bit more on, on, on this love here, we, we see that agape love is only accomplished as the believer walks in the Holy Spirit. Remember the church in Corinth was nowhere near walking in the Holy Spirit. We're not walking in the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit means living in an abiding, close relationship with the Lord, confessing sin, being obedient to Scripture, and, and yielding to the Spirit's convicting leading in the life of every Christian. If you're a Christian here and you say, well, God's just not leading to my life. No, you're not responding to God's leading in your life. Because the Holy Spirit indwells every believer. So this is the position of the church in Corinth. They were not walking in the Holy Spirit, but we understand that, that this agape love is accomplished when we walk in the Spirit as believers. Now, the Corinthian situation and what's going on there in detail, they were, they were trying to have these spiritual gifts. They were trying to use and exercise these spiritual gifts of the Spirit without the fruit of the Spirit, without being in evidence of walking in right relationship with the Lord. They weren't walking in the Spirit at all. And another person, another theologian, rightly points out that the Corinthians were selfish. They were self-desiring and designing. They were self-willed, self-motivated, and self-promoting with no regard for others. Sounds like a real mess, doesn't it? Sounds like a real ornery bunch that was just really screwing up church. This was the Corinthians. This is their position they were in. So Paul comes to them after just stating what the, 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 um, uh, gifts of the Spirit were to the church, and he says, now let's pause for a minute, and let's talk about how the, the, the gifts of the Spirit are to be worked out. By what motive do we exercise the gifts of the Spirit in the church? And so he writes to them in chapter 13 about this agape love. This is exactly what chapter 13 is all about. And so in chapter 13, Paul is saying it doesn't matter what gifts you have. It doesn't matter how many you think you have, which one you have, however much important it is or not, like the Corinthians were doing with each other. Your ministry is absolutely unimportant. I didn't slip up there. Your ministry is absolutely unimportant, and it is insignificant if you are not motivated by sacrificial love. 
If you're not motivated by love, then your service to the Lord is unimportant to him. If love is not the major contributor, one has said, in your life, if love is not the major contributor in your life, you make no contribution at all. And so the message of 1 Corinthians 13 is this this morning. Here's the big idea. Without love, you have nothing. Without love, you have absolutely nothing. And love is superior to all things. Love is superior to all spiritual gifts. Now we're going to pick up the pace a little bit now. I think we've laid a little bit of groundwork of the love that God is talking about here, that Paul is writing about in chapter 13. It's an agape, self-sacrificing, giving, not taking love. Not to be confused with any other form of the word love, but it's this agape love that we're referring to this morning, the love that's demonstrated by Christ. And it is with that in view and with that being the driving motive behind our spiritual service that we look at these next two verses. And we're only going to look at two verses this morning. We'll be done, all right? But let's go to the Lord in prayer before we unpack these verses together, all right? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to, to teach it and try to explain it. I pray that it be done in the Spirit's power, that individuals would be hearing Christ and not the preacher, that they would see Scripture and that they would be praying and listening for ways in which you lead that life and heart must be changed. Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you for demonstrating perfectly through Christ your love to us who are undeserving. We praise you. We thank you for your mercy and your grace. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Look with me again at verse 1. Firstly, this morning, we see that love is superior to the gift of even tongues. Such a showy, flashy gift, right? We studied these things a little bit more in depth. So uh, let me bring you up to speed a little bit in, in verse 1. Let's read it again. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not charity, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. So what Paul is doing here, this is, this is really good. This will help you. What Paul is doing in these verses, in the first part of chapter 13, he's setting up an illustration for his readers. He's trying to illustrate his point here by setting up a, a, a hypothetical man, a person. So he references himself. says, if I did this, then this. If I did this, I didn't do that. So you need to imagine with Paul a, a person that is doing these things. Okay, so he's using this to teach us. So he paints a picture of this extraordinarily gifted man who lacks, listen, nothing at all. There's nothing lacking. He's like the, 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 the epitome of excellence. He's the, he's the, um, um, he, is, he has all the ability and eloquence to speak in, in a way that's convincing and it's, it's really fun to listen to. You know, you lose track of time. Wouldn't that be extraordinary, right? We all just forget about the time. Like, that was a great message. It was two hours long. Oh, but it was so good, you know? It, this is the type of person he's talking about here. But as great as this person has in all these things, he lacks one very important thing. He lacks love. 
So Paul points this out. So suppose there's this man that that has extraordinary interpersonal communication skills. He can communicate well. He has beautiful oratorial skills. The voice is just soothing to listen to. He knows all these things. He's intelligent. He he, he can speak in languages that everybody can can imagine. He knows all the languages no matter who's there. He can speak in all the dialects and all the, the, the languages and ways so everybody understands. But he lacks one thing. He lacks love as a motive, love as a purpose, love as a driving factor behind these things. This, the, the Corinthians had not only would they have been utterly impressed by an individual like this, but they would have been um, uh, covetousness of a person like this. These are the actions we saw earlier studying the Corinthians. Not only would they go, wow, listen to this guy talk, but they would go, oh, man, I wish I was like that. And they would try and conform their lives around matching and mirroring that person or even trying to do better than that individual. That's what the Corinthians would have done in response to this. Paul knows this. He's been seeing this. He's writing to them about these type of responses. So that's exactly what they were doing with the gifts of languages. The gifts, the interim gift of speaking in tongues and languages and interpreting of languages, they thought if they only had this gift, they would be really something. I mean, we're pretty good the way we are, the Corinthians say. We're pretty spiritually mature. We know all mysteries of the Scripture and all these things, but man, if we could speak in languages, oh, that'd be the icing on the proverbial cake. We'd be, we'd be top-notch. That would be it. And they were filled with pride about the least, Paul refers to it, the least of the spiritual gifts, speaking in tongues, the languages. And so what Paul is teaching is this. There were those who can really speak. You know people like that, right? You're not looking at one of them. You know people that can speak really well. They can put their words and their verbs and their nouns together, and they got the right little accent and everything, and the accent can just make it right. You got all this great oratory. There are people that can do this. They can basically convince anyone to do anything almost in a hypnotic way. They can, they can convince the masses to change or to do this or to do that. But if an individual like that lacks the most important element, love, they are nothing but an annoying, senseless noise. Those of you who've had children, you've had people... Grandparents and so on and so on give your children gifts for Christmas that make noise. Please repent of that. (laughs) Or don't send the batteries and let us fool the kids into thinking there's no batteries in the house. Because it sounds really neat for like the first 1,000 times. You know that annoying, blaring sound? You know in Europe... I mean, I love those people over there, but man, alive, their emergency vehicles. I'm like, come on, we got cool sounding stuff, right? The annoying sound of an ongoing siren. You ever had the alarm in your house go off, you know, and you're scrambling around, and it makes you just rush extra fast, and you stub your toe and knock over everything, and you can't even remember the number of the alarm company to call. That annoying, blaring noise, blah, 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 right? Maybe when you or one of your children first learned to play an instrument, and there's nothing like learning to play the violin. You know, Red Skeleton's got nothing on showing us how bad it is compared to how awful it sounds, right? Please keep playing. You'll get better. We hope, right? This is exactly what Paul is talking about. 
I don't care how magnificent and how wonderful you or someone else might be able to speak and how even gifted you may be in speaking. But if you do not love and communicating, then you have nothing. In fact, that beautiful speaking in the ears and eyes of our Lord is but a blaring Christmas toy noise, right? So the point is the most gifted Christian with the best speech in the world is meaningless noise without love. Then you go to the first part of verse 2. Look at this. Love is superior to the gift of prophecy and knowledge. Those are extraordinary gifts, valuable gifts. They had a huge impact in the church. God had gifted individuals in Corinth with the ability to prophesy. That's to talk to God about man or talk to man about God. To, to, um, to have knowledge and discerning the scriptures. So the first part of two says, and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. By the way, mystery here, whenever we, we come to the word mystery in scripture, make sure you understand this before we move on. Mystery is the idea of something that once was hidden, but it's revealed now in the New Testament. Something that we now know, the mysteries of Christ. So whether or not one has the ability to understand those things and explain them. Remember from before the prophecy, Prophecy, the gift of prophecy, in short, it proclaims the truth and knowledge and clarifies the truth. So prophecy proclaims the truth and knowledge clarifies the truth. And so Jesus, or excuse me, Jesus, as he would even prophesy and, and speak of the mysteries, and, and then we come to the New Testament and we see them revealed in the interim time, even in the apostolic era, when, when the apostles would, would give instruction and they would reveal uh, what God's plan is for the church, those who would prophesy, even those who were close to the apostles, as they would explain these things, a great and wonderful tool, a great gift for the church. Just imagine a man that has no limit to his knowledge. Imagine someone who knows and, and can, can understand everything. It'd be incredible. No more study. No more learning. Great knowledge. Knowing all things. He understands all mysteries. Possessing the spiritual gifts of prophecy and knowledge, he understands all human and even divine knowledge. What Paul is saying is it is impossible, or excuse me, it is actually possible to be a great prophet and to not love. It is possible to have great knowledge and not love. It is, pro- it, is profit- uh, it is possible to prophesy but not have love. And so even though some people have the ability to untie and unpack even the most difficult portions of Scripture so that we might understand them and know them, even with somebody with that God-gifted ability, if they do not love, that gift is worthless. That gift is nothing to God without love. So we see love is superior to the gift of tongues, verse 1. Verse 2, the first part, we see that love is superior to the gift of prophecy and knowledge as well. But then thirdly, we come to love is superior to the gift of even faith. Do you realize that, gift is a, uh, that faith is a, is a gift? Look at the second part of verse 2 with me, please. 
and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains and have no charity, that's love, I am nothing. Take the gift of faith, for example. Here's what Paul is saying. Take the gift of faith, for example, you Corinthians. Faith secures God's power through unshaken faith. Remember we talked about the people with the gift of faith? Those are the people we'd love to share our needs and our prayer requests with. They're the kind of people that help us go along. When we're trying to do right, we're trying to live according to God. You're like, I don't know, I'm just struggling with my faith. And go, oh, God's always good. He can always be trusted. Come on, God will carry us through if it's his will. You say, oh, I need people with the gift of faith around us, don't we? Maybe you're one of those sort of people. This gift is ability to believe God's power to supply and to provide. The ability to, to see something that needs to be done and believe that God will do it even when it looks impossible, even when the circumstances look unsurmountable. The person that's gifted with faith is the one that reminds us God can do this. God will do this. God always has accomplished his purposes and plan. And Paul says it is possible to have the gift of faith and exercise it mightily and still be, listen, lacking in love. This is why Paul's writing this. It's not some sort of mistake. He's saying you might, you might be one of these individuals, but listen, if you don't have faith in love, you have nothing. Someone has once said this, it is possible to be a cold-blooded prophet. It is possible to be a heartless teacher, a critical person who speaks languages, and even a great person of faith who has a harsh spirit. These things are possible. And so what Paul is saying to the possibility of these realities is that all our spiritual gifts are nothing without love. You see how this topic of love is so central to our life, our working out our spiritual giftedness, the life of the church. It's not the greatness of spiritual gifts that makes great Christians. Loving greatly makes great Christians. Not the greatness of the gift but the loving greatly. So thirdly, love is superior to the gift of faith, but then fourthly, love is superior to the gift of giving. The gift of giving. Giving is a great gift, isn't it? It's a joy to be the recipient of an unexpected gift. It's an even greater joy to give in a way that provides for someone's needs. Giving, the gift of giving is a wonderful gift. Look at verse 3, it says, And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor... All my goods to feed the poor. That's some pretty committed giving right there. In fact, actually, the, 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 the Greek tense of this is, is that, that the giving is, is done in one full, altogether sweep of everything. Clearing out the banking account. Giving whatever was had for the poor. So Paul says, consider the gift of giving. Gifted givers are those who joyfully share what they have with others in a generous, joyful way whether it is financial, whether it is material, whether it is giving of time and volunteer and so on and so forth. And the giver seeks opportunities to share with others and gifted givers supply particularly to those who are in need, the poor, the needy, those who are in need. 
And Paul's point is a giver without love is one that would be uh, a person that would announce their giving. One who wants to make it known that they have given. One who likes to make sure that there's someone somewhere or multiples or the public knows and like, oh, I give a lot. I mean, I, I give so much. And, and, and oftentimes even you can see the, the, the lack of love is exposed when you hear things like this. You know, not, that, not that I want to be recognized, but I've given this way. You know, it's always preface. We, we chuckle because sometimes we do it. You know, well, I don't, not that I want to mention it. You know, I mean, nothing, you know, it's not because of me. Not pat myself on the back, but did you, did you see what I did for that person over there? Right? You know, in all seriousness, that's in a complete exposure of the giver not giving in love. Not giving with the right motive of not being recognized. Giving without love is giving in order to merit favor from God. Giving without love is giving with the purpose of gaining merit or recognition or praise from whether it be God or man. Folks, we must fight the urge to give for applause of man in whatever excusable way we may try to communicate it. You know, I have learned in my short life that some of the greatest givers, some of the the greatest givers that God has allowed to exist and that I have learned and been aware of and undoubtedly been recipient of their gifts. I've learned that some of the greatest givers used by God were never known to be giving except after they had passed and died. After some sort of unpreventable, unintended circumstances revealed the giver of those gifts. And I would submit to you they were probably some of the greatest loving givers. Those that give without any ounce of desire for recognition. So, Great spiritual gifts can operate apart from love. We can do that. We can try and work our gifts out that God has given us. We can try and serve the Lord and the abilities he's given us, and we can go through the steps and the motions of, uh, of being a great, gifted giver. But in the eyes of our Lord, the exercising of that gift is worthless without love. It amounts to zero in God's eyes if we do not give with love, if we, if we don't give with love. Lastly, look at the last part of verse 3. I told you we'd only look at three verses, and then we'll be done here shortly. Last part of verse 3, And though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth, profiteth me nothing. What sort of gift do we see here? We see mercy, don't we? Paul tells us that love is superior to the gift of even mercy. Not only is it superior to, uh, to all these other things, faith, giving, and then we come to mercy. See, a Christian with the gift of mercy is, you know, who, you know who that person is. We've studied this before. It's somebody that sympathizes with the sick, someone who sympathizes with the poor, somebody who comes alongside with a, with a, with a, with a comforting arm around those who are distressed. This is someone with a gift of, of mercy. So the gift of, of showing mercy is the special ability to deal with the sick or the afflicted. They're able to, 
to joyfully comfort those who are in great distress. And we need people with the gift of mercy. We need to show all of these gifts we need to demonstrate to each other. We need to show mercy. We need to show generosity. We need to give. We need to demonstrate faith. I thank God for those who demonstrate mercy so well. And a person with the gift of mercy is a giver of himself to others. A sacrificial giving is what mercy is. Even to the extent of, as Paul even references here, even to the extent of, the reach of, giving of one's own life. Now, the persecution of believers by burning them was not yet, as I understand and study, was not yet evident at this time when Paul, it was not normal, it was not common for believers to be burned at the stake and persecuted in that manner yet. So whether or not through the Holy Spirit, Paul is thinking ahead to the future of what was to come, or he was just simply speaking of the, 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 the ability, the, the willingness, the desire to love someone and show mercy enough that one is even able to sacrificially lay down their life for someone else. However it may be, the person gifted with mercy would be willing to be burned or even killed or to die by, the means of, uh, by any means for another person. But here's an interesting reality, and I believe you understand this already. Let me point this out. The reality is a person can go through great harm. We've seen people do this throughout history. People can go through great harm and even go to death in the place of others or even in for the purpose of, of, of um, uh, political reasonings or whatever it might be. People can go to death for others or other reasons but people have done and people can do that without love. People can give of themselves sacrificially. People can desire to lay themselves down sacrificially without love. That's what Paul is saying here. So the point he's making is that, 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 that Paul is saying, even if we were to make the supreme sacrifice of our own life, our own life itself, but not love, we gain nothing, and that sacrifice was worthless. Do you see the level of importance of love? This is what, what scriptures are telling us. Love is more important to God. Listen to this, as extreme as it sounds. Love is more important to God than even martyrdom. Martyrdom apart from love is a zero before God. And so serving God or man without love is in vain. Serving man without love, serving man without God is empty. It's hollow. It is worthless. Dear folks, God wants us to understand if, if we have love... <laughs> We have everything. If we don't have love, we have nothing. That's the simple truth of the first three verses of 1 Corinthians and many other scriptures alike. All the giftedness in the world amounts to a big, fat zero in the eyes of our Lord without love. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 31 says, But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. 
the more excellent way is a motivation of love. It's exercising these gifts. Desire love over even the greatest of gifts. Love takes precedence over spiritual gifts. Love is to be our motive in serving the Lord, for it is love that gives every deed. It is love that gives every deed, every act we do, value to God when it is exercised in love. Remember, man looks on the outward, doesn't he? We look on the outward, we see the outward, we make quick judgments, swift judgments, and calls on people. But God, remember, looks at the heart. He sees the heart. He sees what's in our heart. Love is to be our motive. And so a heart without love is a zero before God. He sees that. We may be able to fool others. We may be able to go through exercising our gifted abilities and, and serving each other and living the life of church and Christians with each other in a way that we do this and that and our schedules are full. And people are, wow, look at all you do and the way you speak and talk and faith and mercy and giving. And you're just an incredible person, such an immature believer. But God may know inside we're doing it all that we might hear those things. Maybe we're doing it all to merit God's love. Maybe we're doing it all to to try and gain man's applause. As God teaches without love, as God sees in our heart, it is nothing. The kind of love that God wants you to have can only be produced by the Holy Spirit in the life of a Christian. In fact, Romans chapter 5 and verse 5 says this. Let me read it. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. So maybe you're here this morning. Maybe you're visiting this morning. Maybe you've been sitting in these pews for many, many years. Maybe a question in your mind is, how can I have this kind of love? How can I get this kind of love? How can I demonstrate this kind of love? Dear friend, only by, as you know, repenting of your sins. That's repentance. What is repentance? Repentance is changing our thinking from what it once was about sin, to be in agreement with God that sin is against God, that sin is punishable by God, and that I no longer want to sin anymore, and that I want to turn from that sin in agreement with God and sorrow for my sin, and I want to place my complete faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, in the person, the work of Christ, we refer to this as the gospel, alone for salvation. And that's when we begin as a Christian, to be able to love like Christ loves. As a spirit in our life, as a believer, produces that within us and as we walk in close fellowship with him. Let me end this way. John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35 tell us this. John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35 says, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. And by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your love demonstrated to us. Lord, we have a difficult task before us, and you know that, because you've provided the means necessary. You've enabled us. You, through the Holy Spirit, have gifted us and provided ways for us to, as we walk in the Spirit, to love as you have loved us. Lord, help us to distinguish between hmm, surface-level um, conformity. It's 
religious, it's pharisaical, it's legalism. But help us, Lord, to get down below the surface to understanding that every practice, every outworking of our giftedness, every service to you and to others ought to be rooted and motivated in sacrificial love. Help us to love greatly. Help us to love even the unlovable as you have loved us. We pray these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.